This show is brought to you by Made by Super. Hiring a design studio is more necessary than you think. Your brand is important, and how it's represented shouldn't be phoned in. Whether it's your logo, website, messaging, online ads, environment, graphic design, or social media, you need professionals, thinkers, advocates for your brand, people that will make you look good. It will make a difference. Trust me. Go to madebysuper.com and hire great designers to get to work for you on your brand. Also brought to you by Age Old Trade Design, LA's premier hospitality design firm. Welcome to Acting Real with Kat Foster, where I talk with talented, seasoned professional actors about how they use what they've learned from acting in their real, everyday lives. Today we talk to actor, producer, director, and environmentalist Ed Begley Jr. Ed has appeared in hundreds of films, television shows, and stage performances. Although he's done over a thousand single episodes of television, he's probably still most recognized for his role on the television series Saint Elsewhere, which earned him six consecutive Primetime Emmy Award nominations and a Golden Globe Award nomination. More recently, you may have seen Ed on Arrested Development, Better Call Saul, Portland, India, Future Man, Blunt Talk, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Office, Modern Family, Lady Dynamite, Angie Tribeca, and of course, you may remember him from his role as my character's father on the TBS sitcom, Your Family or Mine. He hosted, along with his wife, Rochelle Carson, the green living reality show, Living with Ed, and more recently, the award-winning television series, Innovations with Ed Begley Jr., Equally prolific in cinema, Ed is best known for films including An Officer and a Gentleman, The Accidental Tourist, This is Spinal Tap, Batman Forever, Pineapple Express, Ghostbuster, and Chips. He's also a recurring cast member in all the Christopher Guest films, including Best in Show, A Mighty Wind, For Your Consideration, and Mascots. You can see Ed in the upcoming comedy series, Bless This Mess, premiering tomorrow night, April 16th on ABC. Enjoy! It is a skeleton, and you have to discover where the bones go. What I need for my life, I am drawn to create the play. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm well. So we met each other because we you were my dad on a on a show on Your Family or Mine. I have this wonderful collection of these movie daughters and TV daughters. I know. Just saw Thora Thora Birch the other day. She was my daughter. Oh my gosh! Does a show that show called Parenthood in 1990? Does that make us? Uh, Sisters? You're related to Thora now. We're TV TV sisters. Uh-huh. I should see all of the TV. We should do a TV family tree. That's right. That'd be so cool. Ancestry.ed. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I would probably be but related to the coolest this. people. Yeah. Bill Shallard, an actor a good deal older than me even, he years ago had, you know, he was Patty Duke's father in a famous show when I was a kid called Patty Duke's Show, and he was everybody wow. else's father too so he oh was my gosh he's a great grandfather to a lot of tv daughters. yeah and that makes you cousins to a lot I of cool so. people 
Um, I'm so, so happy that you came here to be on this podcast. You're what a like, comfortable setup. You got water for me. I'm going to be fully hydrated. Yep. You got snacks. Yep. I got a comfy chair and I'm laying back and relaxing. Yeah, we have soda. You can always feel free to uncap the soda. Don't worry about the sound. I'll do La it right Croix. now. Yeah, we have some LaCroix over here. We're sponsored by LaCroix, actually. Oh, really? No, I wish and we were. And it's pronounced LaCroix, right? I call it LaCroix. Yes, in French, it's LaCroix. LaCroix. But, but people say LaCroix, but I think it's LaCroix. We say LaCroix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even I definitely... Cannon Drive in Beverly Hills is Canyon Drive. There's a tilde on the top and nobody says it. Oh, really? I don't even say it. I go I've Cannon. I've never noticed. It's Canyon. I've never it's supposed noticed to be, that. But we should write... People cheat. Should we write the city? I think we should. <laughs> should we have it spelled phonetically for dumb Americans? From now on, starting today. <laughs> Canyon. <laughs> um... So we're here uh, to talk about acting, but not really to talk about acting. What I'm interested in is is how the stuff that we know as actors and the stuff that we've learned as actors applies to like everyone. Right. And the way that we're going to talk about that is by talking about how that acting stuff, how we use it in our real everyday lives. Right. Um, so like really this is a question about you these are questions about you and like your mind and heart and soul and all of it um that's really what we're here to talk about but you happen to be an actor so i feel like you know you know stuff about your mind and your heart and your body yes you try to reside <laughs> in your mind and your heart and your body and your body as much as possible and your heart even more so but uh your mind takes over and it's good that it takes over sometimes so you want to have a nice balance between all of the above yeah, you do. Um, for instance, you use your mind a lot because I know you're very, uh, you're an activist or you're an environmental activist, I would, I would say. Would you say that? I'll take that title, yes. Since 1970, that's when I started. So cool. Yeah. So that's like an example of something you need your mind for, right? Like you. Yeah. You need to learn facts and figures. So people ask you, no, there's more smog now than there was in 1970. You'd say that's incorrect. There's a lot less smog because what we did, we have catalytic converters on cars, combined cycle gas turbines instead of dirty power plants, spray paint booths, all that stuff, all that technology led to cleaner air, a great deal cleaner than 1970. Wow. Wow. Even yeah. though there's four times the cars and millions more people, the air is a lot cleaner. The air in L.A.? Or in L.A. All... Yeah. Right. And other cities, you know, took our lead Other cities in the U.S., Houston had horrible air. New York City had horrible air. Washington, D.C., lots of cities did. And we fought for cleaner standards in California. And that translated, you know, cleaner cars in California at first and other things that we did to make California more efficient, energy efficient, what have you. And that led to national standards because Detroit got sick of making two kinds of cars, California cars and everybody else cars in America. So that's like, a, like what you're saying. I mean, that sounds pretty optimistic in terms of smog. Right. Like there's a, a smog, the smog situation has improved much since better. 1990. Much, much but like, what about like the, the earth situation is, is, Ooh, is not so good. Not so good. I mean, all over globally. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it's like our, it's sort of a scary uh, out, I mean, you know, prognosis a little yeah, bit. There's a few areas globally that we've done better. We've done a pretty good job. We banned CFCs worldwide. Uh -huh. And so that led to less diminishing of the uh, ozone layer. The ozone hole didn't keep getting bigger. It stalled for a while and indeed got smaller occasionally. Wow. But we've done a good job on CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons. Great. And so they, and everybody said, all the naysayers said, you'll never be able to buy a refrigerator again. You won't be able to buy an air conditioner. They'll be priced out of everybody's range and what have you. And 
course you can. Of course, yeah, because we're smart. We yeah. we, we have a lot of technology. Yep. Um, so when you're up at night, <laughs> assuming that you're up at night, uh, mm. worrying about the environment, I mean, are you actually? I guess I shouldn't assume that. I don't. It's kind of funny. Maybe I should be. I certainly worry about the problems, but I sleep very well every night because I know since 1970 I've done everything that I can. Right. In the realm of the possible. You know, it's a serenity right. prayer. Mm-hmm. Grant me the serenity to accept, accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yes. I can't make the air cleaner in L.A. starting in 1970, but I did my part, and many other people did, and so the air got cleaner. Right. And other things, we're trying to do that with plastics, you know, single-use plastics. There's mm-hmm. lots of work we need to do, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you do the best you can, and people stay away from it, not because they're overwhelmed by the scope of the problems anymore. They're overwhelmed by the scope of the solutions. Mm-hmm. They don't know, what do I do? They're like stuck at base camp wanting to climb Mount Everest and go, what kind of gear do I need? There's too much to choose from. Right. But just do something. Put on these boots here, you know, get this backpack there and just start climbing. You may not make it to the top, but do what you can. Not everybody's going to get solar panels and a Nissan Leaf like I drive. <laughs> right. But people can buy a light bulb. They can uh-huh. buy an energy-saving thermostat. They can buy weather stripping. Mm-hmm. They can ride a bike if weather and fitness permits. They can take public transportation if it's available near them. I just started taking the train in L.A. I love it. Good, isn't it great? Oh, I love it. Where do you get on, and where do you go? I to? get off. Uh, I get on at downtown Seventh um, and Metro, and I, I take it to Santa Monica. I, I get on the Expo line. And I got to get my visual aid, even though this is not a. Uh, a visual medium that we're, we're in That's a podcast, fine. but I want to show it to you to prove. Yeah, you're reaching in your pocket. Oh, right. is this a is this a map? Oh, your tap card? My tap card. All my right. senior tap card because I want to brag oh, you about got a that. Senior tap card. I've got a senior tap tap card because I am a senior. I have a regular. But here's a great card. thing. Here's the racket. You see my senior tap I card. I see it. You have your you have your picture on it. Yes. Yeah, so nobody else, you know, uses yeah, it illicitly. It. Sure. sure. But uh, I get on the subway or any rail for thirty five cents. Whoa. Peak, though, it's a lot more expensive. It's 75 sure. cents when Whoa. it's peak time. Well, and for not seniors, it's 175. Exactly. So but, it's not you know, bad. that's probably less than I would spend on gas on my way to. It Santa always Monica. is. You can't park downtown for and 75 parking. cents or $1.75. No, you, par- you park downtown for like 20 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, this is, I just love that. Yeah, I love public transportation. So I, here's what my question is like, can you extend that metaphor into other areas of your life when you were just sort of talking about starting small, you know, starting small with the environment and, you know, being better on our environment? Is there, are there people, you know, all the time they look at problems that feel insurmountable in their lives and their personal lives. And also when we look at the world, um, do you feel like, how do you, how would you encourage someone to, to, to do these like small steps and how have you done these small steps in your own life well i was forced to start small as an actor you know i didn't get a leading part right away and thank god i had no idea what i was doing i was clueless i for like you you hadn't trained or i hadn't trained i would go out on interviews cat as a young man because my dad was an actor i went that looks easy i'm gonna do that dad get me a series get me a gun smoke get me a perry mason I want a wagon train. I want a regular role, not just one episode. I want to be on all all year long. And what made you want to do it? Because he didn't look like fun. Yeah. I wanted to do what he did. Okay. Looked easy, too. I didn't really understand the discipline of the work. Sure. So I wanted to do that. Had no training. And what a shock. I never got any work. Yeah. I go out on interviews, didn't know what I was doing. Then I started to train finally in 1966. Okay. No small coincidence. I got my first job in 67. Yep. Having trained for just one year. I still didn't know what I was doing, but I knew a little bit more. So I started to work and 
-hmm. Started small and just did small parts for years. Mm -hmm. And finally, when I started to study more and learn more and get better, that's when I started to work more. Yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah, so obviously, I mean, that is that is one area where you, you just started small, you took a class, you know, what I mean, you did what you could do. Yeah, it was forced on me. I didn't want to start small. I wanted to start at the top. I wanted to be a star. But that was not in the cards. And thank God. So that was 1966. Okay, what year? We're in 2019. So that's how what is that 50 years? 50 years? I started I started working in 67. Really I trained in 66, working in 67. So that's as a professional actor, that's 52 years. Right. Wow. Okay. So I just I did a little uh, hunt on you <laughs> earlier. You've done <laughs> over 120 movies and over 200 television shows. <laughs> I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is bananas. And on IMDb, they count St. Elsewhere as like one thing. I know. So you've done even if you're talking episodes, you've probably done right. over 300, right? Or 400 even. I've probably done a thousand TV shows. Jesus Christ. That's counting all the you know, be on the Tonight Show or David Letterman or other things. Now, Mike can Douglas. I just so that's a lot, by the way, that's a lot of TV shows. So are you I mean, do you love it still? I still love it. I'm kind of amazed that I still get to do it. I'm 69. Now I'll be 70 in September. The fact that I still am working in this industry or any industry, I think if I was a storm door salesman or a used car salesman or, you know, worked in the patio furniture industry or whatever, and I'm still working after 52 years and liking it, I'd count myself lucky there too. It's kind of amazing to work over 50 years in anything. And so what's your seat? Like, what, why do you think you still like it? Why do you still do it? Because you do like it, it. Because they continue to call and occasionally <laughs> have to audition but usually not they just call and say are you free in the 23rd to do a show of this or that and i go yeah that sounds send over the script and i read the script and it's funny or that's amazing it's good dramatic writing and so I, I if it's good at all and it usually is you know i do it yeah yeah and um how is it walking onto set having i mean look you've been doing this for years right like you don't audition i mean so you audition I do sometimes occasionally if there's some big thing like you're going to be a regular on a tv series the network and the and the studio want to know what your interpretation the role is sometimes i have been offered regular roles that i didn't have to audition that's happened on the show that we did i just got offered it. i didn't have to audition right that was kind of a plug and play thing yeah You'd already done the pilot right so my thing was i was merging with you guys um but mostly you have to audition and i don't blame them here's my weird feeling though about auditioning at all when i have to read for a part i'm not remotely upset because i get to play the part right for that minute for that minute for yeah. that 10 minutes for that 12 minutes for that three yeah. minutes whatever it is to do the scene yeah. i get to play it if they want me to do it again in front of a digital camera for money, that's uh -huh. a bonus. Right, but sure. But I already got to, if it's good material, yeah. actors I would hope like to act. Yeah. Flute players like to play the flute. So yeah. if you like doing what you're doing and they want you to read, I'm always game. My agent sometimes has another opinion, but I like <laughs> to read. I'm happy when they say we really need him to read. It's like, let's do it. Let's have some fun. Yeah, that's such a wonderful attitude to embrace. And, you know, we can extend that to a lot of other jobs, right? Like if right. you're interviewing for a position, no matter what, you're getting to walk into the doors of that company that you want to work for. You're getting to speak with someone who works at that company about what you do and and, and about that company. And you, you can kind of like get inside the job without necessarily having the job right you get to exercise you get to practice what you're good at even in an interview exactly it's an opportunity yeah 
So, but then what happens sometimes if you don't get the job? Like, what have you done with the, that disappointment? Or do you still experience that disappointment? I mean, look, you're you're a very established actor. Sometimes still do you read and then not get it? And do you feel disappointed? That happens occasionally when it does. No, it's usually for the right reasons. At time I, times I've, you know, not... In fact, there's been a few occasions where I was picked for something that they decided when they went forward with the show, they didn't need me in the part. That's happened very few times when it's happened. It was for the right reason. I didn't mm. see it at the time, but it was it was a good change that they made. Yeah. Wasn't it, well, they weren't just being mean. You know, they had a reason for recasting. So you sort of feel like, you know, when that's happened, you've gotten over it pretty quickly by just saying, you know what, I understand you put you put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. The first time it happened in 1988, I, I wasn't very good with it at all. I had no practice at it because I'd never been fired. Right. So they, they had a show that I did. It was called Maggie Day. A very funny script by. Oh, man, I can't think of anything. It's OK, anymore, we'll look but, it up. Yeah. But uh, Ann Cusack was in it. She was great. I played mm. her husband. And uh, John Slattery was in it, and it was very, very funny. And I got to play the husband in the pilot. And then when they went forward from the pilot, they started recasting. Uh huh. And so they didn't want me in the part. I was, uh, my ego got involved, and I thought this is horrible. I'll never, yeah. you know, if they want me, they wouldn't let me out of my contract because they were still wanted to keep me in case they would, couldn't find anybody else. And oh, so wow. it was this. But it was all ego. They finally, at the end, wanted me to do it, but I was on to another job. But I, um, but they, it was the right decision. I wasn't right for that part. What I did in the pilot was not that good, and not because I'm a bad actor. It just wasn't. It wasn't right. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so when you say it was all ego, just can can you like talk a little bit more about that? Like when when you say that, what do you mean? When things happen that you're not prepared for, that you've never. You think you're going to die. You think you're not allowed mm -hmm. around the watering hole that all the other monkeys are getting the water mm -hmm. and you're going to be ostracized and you literally think it's your life or death. You're going to perish because you're no longer part of the clan. Mm -hmm. And that's you, all those. You don't think that consciously, but that's what's going on. You get a little crazy about it. And I went a little crazy for weeks and weeks, maybe even a few months while mm -hmm. they saw every other actor in town, Yeah, you know, to do it. And so I... Uh, I just I thought you feel you feel threatened by it. But then when when it happens a second time and it happened another time after that, maybe one other time when I wasn't right for a part that I'd originally even recorded some footage on. In each case, they were right. By the third time it happened, I think it's only happened three times in 52 years. Wow. It was like, do I still get paid? Yeah, you still get paid because you showed up and did the work. OK. No problem. So it didn't seem because it happened a few times. It's sort of like you had gained some perspective. You're like, right, oh. and I didn't die. Right. I realized I wasn't really <laughs> knocked out of the watering hole. I was still allowed to drink from it, and all the other monkeys seemed to still like me. And and so this concept of the watering hole, which I love, like, do you believe that there is a watering hole around which or from which certain monkeys drink, but that there is other monkeys that don't get to drink from the watering hole? Oh, absolutely. You There's do. talented actors who should definitely be working ahead of me. Yeah. Male and female people, you know, who are so talented and they're not stars and they should be. They certainly should be working more than they are. Yeah. But occasionally you see... You know, some of them eventually go, this business isn't fair. Back in the 70s, I would think, this business is not fair. Why isn't Bruno Kirby a bigger star? Mm. And he became City Slickers a bigger star. 
Mm-hmm. Did wonderful work for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is like you have this very, you know, we have not yet had an actor uh, with your breadth of career. We haven't had anyone sit in that chair yet who's done been doing this for 52 years. So you have this amazingly unique perspective. Um, you've seen, I mean, your friends have had massive successes and then have stopped working for a while. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, I imagine that your contemporaries, you've seen them go, have their careers rise and fall. Is that? Yes. And, and so, and, and probably you, I mean, I don't know, right? But I, I mean, look, in my short career relative to your career, I've seen friends who have been gotten super successful really fast. Yep. I've seen friends get super successful really fast. I've seen them then, you know, stop getting offers. I've seen them then get a huge big thing. Yep. I've, you know, like you see these careers go up and down. And um, I mean, I've seen my own, you know, like sometimes I'm, you know, I drive onto the lot because I'm, I have a leading role in the show. And then other times I drive onto the lot because I'm just there to audition for something. Right. And I, and I don't just get right through the gate or whatever. Right. And so how do you, how have you processed that? I mean, how ha, ha, have you struggled with jealousy? Have you, have you struggled with you know, shame when you yourself have been sort of at a lower point? I mean, look, you've continued to work over and over and over again, but I would imagine that even you, sometimes it's like, oh, wait, are they going to call again? <laughs> I mean... I was jealous more. I'm rarely jealous these days. Very, very rarely. I can't even think when I've actually been jealous in a few decades, but in the 70s I was. But of course, I was drinking and using then, so that mm. adds to an imbalance where you're not making good decisions. Sure. But... um then I've seen people have a hot career, crazy hot, then things slow down, then a second hot career, then a third. You know, Don Johnson is a perfect example. He's yeah. had like three big careers, Miami Vice, you know, and uh, this and that, you know, Nashbridge. He just keeps, yeah. you know, people have multiple careers that ebb and flow. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I just realized at some point I wasn't going to perish. I realized that no matter what, I would be fine. I'd be living at a nice rental at Moore Park in Colfax, even if I stopped working 100%, not one day's work, the SAG pension and Social Security, what have you. I'm like, yeah. I'm fine. I'm going to dine out three three meals a day <laughs> right. and everything's right. fine. So right. you get a lot more relaxed when you have that. Right. And so like, but have you ever, I mean, do you remember the last time you felt afraid? I mean, have you? I mean, I mean, look, this might be you work a lot, right? So, and you have a really, really solid career you have for decades. But I just wonder still if there are times where you're like, oh God, like, is it going to be okay? Can I keep I still, my house? I just remembered sitting in this chair to be totally honest. Um, I've been afraid uh, intermittently and recently just about learning lines because I used mm. to learn them like that. Mm. And now I can still learn them. I've got to work very, very hard. And if they change the lines at the last minute, which they do, they're entitled mm-hmm. to. They want to make it better. They come up with a better idea. Mm-hmm. I'm like, throw what, what, what's the new one? What's the old one? Yeah. You know, it's a function of age. Yeah. But I get a little freaked out sometimes about lines. And how do you how do you deal with that? Like on set, like if 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 you're getting thrown a new line last minute and you're you know in the middle of a it scene doesn't and... help to get upset. And I remember that that it's better to just relax as best you can and breathe. You just got to remember to breathe, and. Um, but there's so many different tapes that are playing in your head. It was my father's business, and you don't want to make my father proud. Mm. He died in 1970, so mm. you know, I'm not really. 
trying to impress him in any physical sense anymore. Mm. He's not there to see it, mm. success or failure. Mm. But there's so many things involved because it was my father's industry. I try not to play those tapes in my head and just do the best job I can. And you know, but you don't want to embarrass yourself in front of the grip you worked with in 1982. <laughs> he's on this show now in 2019. You know, because you he's an old friend and yeah, you, know, you just want to. You don't want to embarrass yourself or embarrass others. Right, right. So there's all kinds of things playing in your head. Yeah. But none of that serves you, and you realize you got to just relax, calm down, breathe. Let's go again. I'm sorry. I'm ready. I'm ready now. Go ahead. From the top. Can we take it from the top? Yeah. And you go again, and you just jump off the high dive, hoping that there'll be water in there. And, of course, there always is. Mm, mm, mm. And even if there isn't, then you do another take. Right? Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. a thing. You're yeah. indestructible in that way. You can do multiple takes and get it right eventually. Right, exactly. Unless you can't, and then they'll get somebody else, and then you'll right, sure. study harder next time. Or... I just saw you kind of close your eyes and like take a deep breath as you were kind of reimagining those moments on set. Is that is that what you actually do? Yeah. You have a process? You take a deep breath or feel Breathing your feet on the Breathing is key. Ground? The times when you're really going to hurt yourself is when you're uptight. Yeah. And you're holding your breath and you're not breathing properly and you're not in your body. Just relax with everything that's you know going on and calm yourself. And get back to what's true. And I've totally forgot who I am, who I am. The guy who I am right now is this guy that's living in the barn. He's a little wacky. He lost his wife and he's you know got a pet goat. And so now what exactly, what's going on here? Just get back to what's important. And immerse yourself in the character, and then you won't be upset anymore. You're not some guy. I'm a guy in a set who's worried about embarrassing himself in front of that important director. That guy is not important. What's important is the guy living in the barn with the pet goat. Mm, right. So you go back to go the back task to the character and the work and right. what you're really thinking about in that scene, right. and dive off that high dive into that pool. Hmm. It sounds almost like a practice in mindfulness. Right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because as an actor, there's all these given circumstances. I mean, we're pretending to be a real person. Right. <laughs> so we're we're sort of in this paradox where we're in the outside world. We're in we're it, you're in Ed's body, but also you're actively working on inhabiting the character. Would you right. call it that? Totally. And what I go go back to each time that serves me the best. It's something this guy, there was an acting teacher, Roy London. He was very good. And he, I studied with him briefly in 1993. I was doing a, a series called Winnetka Road. You never remember. It came and went quickly. It was an Aaron Spelling show, but it was very good writing by John Byram. <clears throat> God, you have such an amazing memory. Thank you. Do you know that about you? I did know that, but I accept what you say because you're younger and your mind functions well, so thank you. But wow. I do the crossword every day. Maybe that helps me I'm connect. I'm sure it, it does, yeah. But I went to this guy, Roy London, we're working the scene, and what he gave me with the character was good. It was something different than what I had in mind, but I trusted his instincts, and I did that in rehearsal at his house and in the scene. And I was with him one day. And he said, you know, just to really firm up what we're doing here, Ed, what I find the most interesting thing to watch as a viewer on stage, on film and anything, TV, films, anything, comedy, drama, it's kind of universal. What's the most interesting thing to watch is how a character deals with pain. Mm. And I heard that and I went, okay, thanks, Roy. That's true. Yeah. I'm going to see somebody in pain. Oh my God, I'm in such pain. Oh, I'm hurting. Oh, yeah. That sounds like fun to watch. I dismissed <laughs> it in my mind and nodded and said, no, that sounds great, Roy. I'd 
didn't mean it for a second. And I was driving home and I went, wait a minute, what did he actually say? He didn't say, I did a guy writhing in pain, how a character deals with pain. Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. a character deals with pain, comedy or drama, Sophie's Choice or uh, Laurel and Hardy. Mm -hmm. Laurel and Hardy are carrying a piano down a flight of stairs and they fall carrying the piano. Then the piano falls on them. A piano. Yeah. And you're laughing uncontrollably because right. there's some real pain at stake, you know, right. the way they perform the scene. Mm. Or Sophie's choice, Sophie, Meryl Streep, mm. has to make her choice about the kid. Spoiler alert for people who haven't seen the movie, but the <laughs> yeah. kid, which kid oh, gets God. to live and which gets to die with the Nazis. Oh, oh. And you think about that, how she deals with that pain, how the character Sophie deals with pain. Yeah. And it, it can be very moving. Mm -hmm. And it's not always the most compelling to just go, I'm in pain and it's horrible. How does a character keep the lid on the pot? Mm -hmm. How do you keep the lid on that pot of that incredible pain that what the character Sophie went through? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what's fascinating to watch. You wonder what happened to this woman as you watch the beginning of the movie mm -hmm. and the middle and you finally learn what Sophie's choice was mm -hmm. and you're devastated. Yeah. And it's the same, watch any comedy or drama scene, it's the same. The other thing that was helpful that was a great gift from Roy London. Sorry, I'm going to take a drink of water. No, it's fine. I, I got felt a little emotional. You, yeah, I felt that. Just thinking about Sophie's Choice. The other good one came from an improv group called The Committee. There was Second City and there was a committee in San Francisco, then later in L.A. And the, both of them are and were great groups. The committee had, I think it was John Brent and Chris Ross, two great improv actors. And as you probably know with improv, like the Groundlings or any of them, you start with an improv, you get a suggestion from the audience often, and you do it, and it works well. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. The mm -hmm. ones that work well, they keep, and they refine and do them again another night. So kind of they become set pieces, mm -hmm. but they change a little bit here and there. And uh, it's a way you're not always on the precipice doing improv. You have some set pieces that came out of improv, and sometimes they, they do very well. Well, this one piece I had, I can't remember the details of the scene, but it started out as a great improv. It became a set piece, but it was no longer funny. Uh -huh. They just weren't getting the laughs that they used to. Uh -huh. So they're about to go on in two minutes with this set piece. It was on the schedule to do. And Chris Ross says to John Brent, or the other way around, one of them says to the other, come with me next door. What are you talking about? We go on in two minutes. We don't have time to go. Come with me next door. Where? What are you doing? We got to go on. They go next door. There's a Greek hero kind of... Uh, you know, falafel place or something. Give me yeah. some Greek salad. We don't have time to eat. I'm just shut up, shut up. <laughs> Get some Greek salad. No dressing. No dressing. What are you, what are you going to do? You don't want dressing for it? Shut up. You're gonna, we don't have time to eat that now. We're not going to eat it now. And he takes a salad. John Brent does, I think. And he puts it in his underwear. <laughs> and he says, open your pants and pull your own underwear back. Shut up. We got to go on in 30 seconds. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. He puts salad in his underwear. Yeah. They go out and they do the scene. Now, this is not about a bulge in their pants. Sure. There was no bulge. You couldn't see it. It didn't, wasn't wet and it kind of permeated through. It's not, yeah. That's not what happened that night. Yeah. They had salad in their underwear. That was their <laughs> secret. They had salad in their underwear, went out and did the scene. It killed. Wow. It killed. Yeah. And yeah. that's what you need to find as an actor, that salad in your underwear, that pain and how you deal with it. Right. That special thing that people look at and go, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what Joaquin Phoenix is doing in that movie. You know, yeah. but it's just like I can't take my eyes off him. Who is that character and why is he making these decisions? Mm -hmm. And then you see why as the story progresses mm -hmm. and you see this great work because people have something 
deep going on inside, something mm. very deep and, and um, meaningful. Yeah. And so like when you're on set, I mean, look, we did Your Family or Mine together. But you've, done, you've been on probably 100 sets since then. What what is your special? What's your salad in your underwear? Like other, you know, I mean, you just said you focus back to what the character is dealing with. I mean, do you search for the pain in the characters you're playing? I do. Most of the t pardon me, most of the time I do that. But often I forget. I get hung up and what? When do I get my breakfast? And when is makeup? And get over here and oh wait, they change the lines. I get hung up in these details and I forget. Right. I actually forget the thing I'm just telling everybody to do right now. <laughs> when I do, it's not as good. But when I remember, you know, I find some thing, some secret thing, that is the salad in the underwear. I find what is the pain in this scene, and it needn't be physical pain. It can be emotional pain. It can be whatever. It doesn't have to be physical pain. But so how do we extend that? Like, I mean, what I'm thinking about is, you know, for people who aren't actors, um, it, what it feels like we're talking about is some kind of rooting in the present moment, right? Yes. Like there's something that being in the now. Yeah. That really that that transcends the circumstance of I'm an actor and I'm on set or I'm a person in this interview or I'm a receptionist answering a call that transcends our actual literal circumstances. Right. And gives us, uh, I don't know, um, like some connection to the eternal, right? Like, or some connection to a feeling, which, you know, is always accessible to us, maybe. I mean, I'm making this up. No, it is. It's You look at that person when they're doing that incredible work, what Meryl Streep has done in every role that you've seen her in, and mm -hmm. what people like Daniel Day-Lewis and Joaquin Phoenix do, mm -hmm. you go... This is, am I in the same business as these people? That's what I think. I don't know what you think when you see the work. They're doing something so no, incredible, detailed and wonderful and real and honest, so deep. They, you know, I don't think any of them are insane. They don't really believe. I don't think Daniel Day-Lewis believed he was Lincoln. Sure. You know, no. maybe he did. I don't know. He has him called, he has himself called Mr. Lincoln on the set. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's you know, very but method whatever in that way. he does to do that, to be Lincoln, I have no idea what Abraham Lincoln actually behaved like, but I sure bought what he did. But you've had moments. I mean, I'm sure you've had moments where you feel like Daniel Day-Lewis or Joaquin Phoenix or Meryl Streep. I mean, you've walked off set and gone like, wow, I don't know what just happened there, but that I, I was so fill in the blank connected or. Yes, that's happened a few times. Yeah. And I always love it when it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what do you treat. what do you think the circumstances are for that level of connection and that kind of feeling? It's diving off the high dive. But again, you don't just run up the ladder and dive off the high dive. You practice and practice and practice and you do, you know, you do your homework so you can make that dive and know that there's going to be water in the pool. You know, yes. you've got to fill that pool yourself off and you've got to get the hose and do it and stand there. And there's work involved. People don't, people prepare for months. Some I've heard some of these people, De Niro and others, these great actors among us, and they have... I can't start that movie, you know, in July because there's not enough time. It's only January, mm. only January. You know, mm -hmm. I've never worked more than a couple of weeks right. on a show before I've ever done anything. Right. I've never the right. idea of having six months to inhabit the character. That's what that level of actor needs mm. to do it. They can't do it with shorter notice. They won't mm. do it with shorter notice. They need the time to really build the pool, mm -hmm. stucco the pool, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. But you still had it. Pool. You've had it with short notice. I've had it with short notice because I'm used to be a pretty good improv actor. Now I slow down a little bit because my hearing loss is such. 
it's really you can't be a good improv actor when you can't hear the other people right of course That's a, a big minus yeah well a so tenet of improv is listening it's all right? about listening yeah yeah so with hearing loss it becomes pretty hard to do improv but i used to love improv uh i still love it i love watching it i love doing it when it's a a brief thing where i you know can hear well enough somehow i don't know yeah and so can do you distinguish between like how you work as an Im improviser and how you work as an actor is there i mean obviously with one you have lines and the other you don't so but do you feel the same in your do you approach it in the same way um improv is just so much easier because you're not worried about getting the lines wrong you can mm. still get it wrong you can go do it you know, as I did the other day with Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's an yeah. improv show, but there's some beats that you have to hit. Yeah. So you do the take and the director, Larry, say, no, remember, we got to do that. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. You can get it wrong, but you can't get it that wrong. It's not like right. that line wasn't say the instead of them. Right, right, You know, right, you're right. not hung up on that at all. You can just, you can just play. Yeah. It's like a jazz musician. You just have a chord chart and you get to decide how you play. I want to play those notes. Right. In the key of G. Sometimes I wonder if, uh, you know, if these actors like Meryl Streep and Joaquin Phoenix, and I mean, I'm mentioning the people that you mentioned, obviously, and I agree that these actors are amazing, but I wonder if um, they don't, they don't, you know, use that time of preparing. They, they don't take from January to July or whatever to familiarize themselves so much with the character um, and the, the, the text or, or whatever that it all feels like an improvisation you know that like that the, this memorized the memory of the lines is sort of like it's sort of a distant memory you know that they're really like improvising essentially right li like you might in curb your enthusiasm you know right um that and i and so and i you know i wonder if that's what you mean when you talk about you know jumping off the high dive um and sort of knowing that the pool is is full um that kind of that sense of risk taking that sense that we don't have like lines hold on i have to just wonder can you hear this I can't hear it the... can you hear this you can hear this yeah but i it's think not it's my daughter it's not not my least. daughter is upstairs playing with our nanny and i think she's it's, i have no idea what it I love is it. but it's, it's oh you did okay great okay Okay, great. So we're taking care of it. It is part of the experience. That's true. Yeah, we can we can have everything be a part of. We don't have to deny any aspect of our experience. That's right. You know, sometimes we're working and there's you know someone's talking to another person or someone's like on their or you hear a phone ring and you you kind of just you develop that muscle that lets you keep going, even though there's noise happening, um, which I think is yeah. When I've been really in the moment and the phone is rung. You know, I go, somebody get that. You know, I just, and that sure. was a joke. <laughs> right. You know, I'm in the character doing it. I'm like, why did a sandbag just fall? Why are there sandbags in this restaurant? You know, you just kind right, of, right, right, right. You know, you, you, if you're in the moment, it should all be real. It's all part of it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be cool if in life it could just all be part of it? Yeah. I mean, including all the things that we don't want, you know, like yeah. traffic's just part of our experience going to this dinner. Yeah. Or, you know, and it's just it's just all there. We don't have to deny it. Right. So if traffic's a part of our experience going to this dinner, we can kind of accept it and kind of relax into the drive. I'm there in the traffic realm already. I've been there for a while. I rarely get upset in traffic. I can't even think That's of the last so time I get upset. Yeah, because if you're late, you're late. Right. Exactly. And I leave so early for things nowadays. Right. You know, I bring the crossword with me. And so I sit 
downstairs or wherever I am nearby and I do the crossword if I'm a half hour early so I'm not ringing their bell a half hour early sure I just leave early but that's what old people do <laughs> is that what old people did you used to do it when you were a young person I used to always cut it close when I was younger in my 20s I did in my 30s I did a bit then I got tired of it at some point in my 30s and that's 1979 is when I stopped drinking and using too that was part of my maturity and growing up I started you know, rather than cutting it close and being late for things, I would get places early. And it, yeah, it just um, just got better. I just had this magical thinking way of, uh, I'm in Studio City, I gotta be in Santa Monica, so I'll leave 22 minutes to get there. Yeah, I That's know. what time it takes at three in the morning. Right, That's right. not a real, that's wishful thinking. Yeah, I know You gotta well. leave an hour before and then, it's possible you could still be late if there's a truck overturn, what have you, but you got a good shot of getting from Studio City to Santa Monica, California in 45 minutes. That's possible, but still, I don't like the 45 thing. I leave an hour before just in case, and I sit outside for 15. So does it eat you up if you're ever late? When's the last time you were late? Can you even remember? Almost never, and thank God my wife is the same. I can't remember the last time I was late for something. I just am never late for work. I get there early. The PAs are always, oh, wow, you're here already. Do it. Let me get your room opened and... You want some breakfast? Amazing. You want a cup of coffee? So you mentioned this um, a couple times and also before you recited the serenity prayer. So I'm assuming that you went to, to AA or... Yeah, or I did a 12-step program. You exactly. did a 12-step program. And um, and do you still go to meetings? I do. You do. You're still active. Yeah. And, and that... I should be anonymous. If I were a member of that organization, I would deny it. Uh, right, of course. Well, only because you mentioned it. And exactly. We've had, um, so that I'm sure I would imagine that that's influenced your acting and how you approach your career. It did. It gave me a maturity that I didn't have before. It gave me the time to work on parts. My work, I got St. Elsewhere when I was, you know, a few years clean and sober and that I couldn't have done that part if I was still, I, I could have. I might have done it, but it wouldn't have been the same. Mm. You know, I had the time. I took the time because I wasn't out in bars mm -hmm. the way I was beforehand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I look back at some of my work from the 70s. On several movies, I'm playing a drunken character. Mm. And that's no coincidence that that happened. That happened. Like, make the character drunk will be easier for matching with Ed. Right. And I think that was kind of a decision that directors and producers made at some point to make me kind of a ruddy, drunken 20-some-odd-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. And so what like what what principles have you taken from program into your career? Well, the serenity prayer is a pretty good one, you know. Yeah, you God know, grant me the, the serenity you, to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference just Yeah. That's good in just about any situation and acting is one of them. Right, right, right. And right. Then, For instance, when they're throwing new lines at you, that's something that you can't change. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. But, but the but the courage to change the things that you can change. Yeah, what I can work on, you know, if I have the time to work on it, which I always do these days, I make the time to work on it. I get lines a week before I have to do a scene. I just start working on it a week before. I don't wait till two days before. Right. I just need to have it in every fiber of my body mm -hmm. so that uh, it's second nature. When we start rolling, I know I can 
say it. I have muscle memory in my mouth from saying the lines enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to worry about my brain. My mouth will say the lines. And now your wife, Rochelle, she's also an actress. She is. And so does she run lines with you? My daughter runs them more than Rochelle. Rochelle runs them with me occasionally, but my daughter is 19 and she is an aspiring actress. She's an aspiring writer. She's a very good writer. And so she, uh, she has more time for lines. My wife, Rochelle, Besides being a wonderful actress, um, she teaches Pilates. She has a Pilates business, so she's busy with that. And my go-to uh, scene partner is my daughter, my 19-year-old. And so what advice, I mean, how, does, is your daughter auditioning and stuff? She auditions, yeah. And so how do you, how do you, does it, when she said she wanted to be an actor, did it pain you? <laughs> or were you immediately supportive? I was supportive as I was with my grown kids. They wanted to do it for a while, and then they chose other fields, which was fine by me too. Mm-hmm. And I knew I couldn't hand it to them. You know, I had this, mm-hmm. but I, I got it wrong myself being on the other side of the equation. I secretly, without even knowing it at the time, I wasn't consciously aware of it at the time, I resented my father for not getting me a Gunsmoke TV series, mm-hmm. a Wagon Train, a Perry Mason mm-hmm. kind of, t- Green Acres, whatever. I wanted a show and I wanted it now. Yeah. A, he didn't have the power to do that. I had no idea that that was the case. I thought he's Ed Begley senior you know he's an academy award-winning actor get your son a job it doesn't work that way yeah no and so there was that and so uh, and i had no training i i just um i had it all backwards so she wants to do it i said you know i'll help you any way i can but um you know you've got to go do the work and you got to make them want to hire you Mm -hmm. being my daughter will help in a couple of ways the way it helped me Mm -hmm. a they're going to remember your name Mm-hmm. Begley's kid. What's her name again? Haley? Right. No, it's Hayden. Hayden. Okay. Hayden Begley. <laughs> they remember you, number one, which yeah. is key to getting any job. Uh-huh. They remember your name. And number two, they have something to talk about. I work with your dad on St. Elsewhere and, you know, right. blah, 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 blah. Top of page eight, let's begin. Mm-hmm. You know, they got something to talk about. Same mm-hmm. way I did, I realized finally that it wasn't a minus being Ed Begley's son. I thought it was a minus somehow. Mm. I can't, I'm not him. I can't fill his shoes. I'm not, I'm a different kind of actor. I'm a different kind of person. Don't compare me to him. Right. It was always negative. Right. And I realized after a few years, I went, shut up. They remember your name and they got something to talk about. You got, you know, two strikes not against you, two strikes for you. So when your daughter and your wife come home from an audition or they get a phone call that they didn't get a part um, or they want to audition for something their friend's auditioning for but they're not getting that audition, what do you tell them to to help them cope with that disappointment or upset? Or or do they, are they disappointed and upset? I think they do get disappointed. I just tell them don't let it get you down. You know, it's like... Just keep going up to bat, you know, mm-hmm. keep swinging for the fences. And at some point it's going to connect because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they're both very talented. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you just have to keep believing in yourself. Just keep, just keep doing it. Just keep I doing say it. this as a man, it's just harder on a woman, women of every age. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the way you look at the casting sheets, the amount of men and the amount of women that's. Yeah, there was you know. just this thing on the Oscar. There was this, this meme online leading into the Oscars of uh, all of the films that have won over the past. Did you see that? 20 years or something? Well, we'll link to it. But the meme was basically showing how disproportionate the number of lines that men had versus the number of lines that women had in all of the films that have won best film over the last like 20 years. 
and like disproportionately the number of lines that men had were was just like so much greater than the number of lines women had yeah we we're making changes now but it's we need to pick up the pace you know there's a lot more that can be done to solve that you started acting because you it was fun and your dad did it and you wanted to do it and you liked it and what keeps you doing it like i I mean i know i asked this before but i guess here let me think of a better way of asking this question what do you derive personally like as a human in terms of your evolution over this lifetime from your life as an actor that's a good question um you know i connect with characters that are different than me i see uh, i see the world through other people's eyes I, um, you know, I get to inhabit another person, really, another person's state of mind. It's kind of exciting. It's, it's just kind of fun to, it's make-believe, you know. I, I get to play the kind of games we played as kids on a more sophisticated level with incredibly, uh, you know, accurate cameras and CGI and all kinds of other devices that can enhance the work. But if the work is good and the feelings are deep, that's what registered. You want to see Charlize Theron or you want to see Kate Blanchett. You want to see these people, what they're really experiencing in their eyes and their face and their bodies. And um, that's what's exciting. Uh, I get to do my little version of that and the characters that I get to play. I do mostly television. I occasionally do a movie and you get to do uh, a different kind of work in a movie often. I get to do some plays too. So um, I just love it all. I get to play make-believe as a 69-year-old. Yeah. And ha- as a 69-year-old, do you, uh, you know, has your perspective on this career and this business changed since? It changed years ago to one of incredible gratitude, you know, at the point when I was, when I got St. Elsewhere, I realized I totally won the lottery. Mm. I'm not even sure that I bought a ticket. I guess I bought a ticket by taking all those acting classes at Strasburg Institute and Peggy Fury and mm-hmm. and uh, Stella Adler and all, all those people that I studied with. That's the lottery ticket that I bought. But I, I got a winning ticket after you do a show like St. Elsewhere. Ever since then, I won't lie to you, it has not been really difficult ever any given year since 1982, since I got that job. That's mm-hmm. a long time ago. I was 32 mm-hmm. when I got the job. Now, if you're on a show like that, you're kind of guaranteed work for life. Maybe dinner theater, right? <laughs> but you're guaranteed some form of work as an actor for life, unless you, you know, drive in a bus full of nuns with a needle in your arm. I don't know what you need right. to do to mess that up, but people, can, people have done it. It happens. You know, people do stupid things and they wind up not working anymore but you're kind of guaranteed a certain level of work after that if you don't blow it in some meaningful way and not about the work i mean blow it with lifestyle yeah 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 um if you did good enough work to be on a show like hill street blues or saying elsewhere er those shows like that you're going to work for the rest of your life now have you ever by the way it's so wonderful that you are able to feel that sense of security yes and um my first question is, I wonder if 
um, like, do you think that there's a way to feel that sense of security if you haven't been on a show like St. Elsewhere? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it, like, is there a way that we can, you know, sort of inhabit that sense of security without that the hit show? I think you can have the sense of security in the more important way. That is to say, to always know you're a fine actor and then maybe you won't even do dinner theater. You won't rise to that threshold even, but you'll be doing, you know, 99 seat theater work in Glendale. Mm -hmm. But that's, you're an actor. Mm -hmm. If you like to act, you're an actor. Mm -hmm. Who says it's more successful to get a salary? You can make that argument, I suppose, in a financial sense, but creatively, spiritually, if you're an actor, you like to act, and so you're not being paid for that. Does that make you any less an actor? No. You're doing this wonderful work at a little theater on, you know, Santa Monica near Wilcox. You know, that's, you're still a fine actor. I've seen some incredible plays in theaters like that. These little tiny theaters that are, forget 99 seats, they're like 34 seats. Mm -hmm. And incredible work that's being done. Those are real actors doing really incredible characters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, they may not be getting a paycheck, but it's wonderful, deep-rooted meaningful work just the same. So I guess it's sort of like maybe maybe the advice would be to um, sort of dig deep to find a sense of satisfaction in whatever you're doing. Right. So even if you, we don't get a hit show or uh, even if we're, we've done dinner theater for 10 years, if that's really where you're, if you are, if, can you dig into the fact that night after night, you feel a sense of creative creative satisfaction and and that digging in might give you a sense of safety yes yeah i think that's where you need to go with it anything mm -hmm. else is just that's a world of commerce you know there's the world of art and there's a world of commerce and they certainly intersect but for our purposes if you're fulfilling your needs artistically that should always trump commerce well because also arguably look you are I mean, undeniably, a, a very successful actor. You've had a very successful run. You've worked solidly for 52 years. You've done thousands of things. We've already gone over this. And yet, like, you know, you haven't won an Oscar. Right. Right? And you were just at the Oscars. I saw you tweeted you were just right. at the Oscars. So is there, <clears throat> you could be the kind of person to sort of wallow in, I don't know, self-pity or self-hatred or about the fact that you haven't won an Oscar. But you, or an Emmy or a or Golden an, Globe. Or a yeah. Golden Globe. But you're not, you're not doing that. Not at all. I just, uh, I think a good deal of all those awards, I really do. They're, they have value to me, but uh, I do the work for the sake of it. And, you know, if I never get a nomination, I've still, you know, I've already won in such an important way because I get to work with these great people. I get a phone call to, without an audition to go be in Arrested Development years ago and I still continue to work on that show or uh, Portlandia mm -hmm. or Curb Your Enthusiasm mm -hmm. or I just get these calls to do these wonderful shows and work with these wonderful people. So um, that's such a reward in itself. Mm -hmm. I had the great pleasure of doing a movie with Meryl Streep. I worked with Jack Nicholson and worked with Bob Hoskins and Michael Caine and John Lithgow. Mm -hmm. I work with these incredible actors and actresses. Work with Bonnie Bartlett on St. Elsewhere and Christina Pickles and 
Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful people work with you. You're wonderful, by the way. Oh, you were so Sam. good in our show. <laughs> thanks. So good. Thank you. And so I, I just feel blessed to continue to do this work. And uh, an award is fine. I have nothing against them. I don't trivialize them at all. They're wonderful. But um, I've gotten my reward many times over financially and in many ways to work with these great people. So I'm I'm just blessed. So let me just ask you this, and, and we'll wrap up soon, but... I'm just curious if you feel like um, you are a person who's always been able to to derive the sense of gratitude that you have from whatever work you're doing. Like when you were just starting out or, or let's say let's let's call it like, you know, when you became sober and like the work after that that you would get or even before. Were you just like you said, look, I work on all of these cool shows and you cited all the cool shows you you just recited and I got to work with all these cool actors. And you like, was there a time where you were like, look, I got six lines in this really cool scene in this TV show that I liked, you know, or or um, like, have you always been the kind of person who finds the thing to be grateful for? I think I always have been. I've been very grateful even when I was just a day player kind of actor early on, I'd do parts that were one and two lines, sometimes three lines. I'd be call up, you know, my sister or somebody, and I'd say, I'm on Mannix. You know, I got a great job on Mannix, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've only got six lines, but, you know, they're good lines, and yeah. you know, I get to work on Mannix. Yeah. You know, I was so excited to do some show like that. I'm on Adam 12. Can yeah. you believe it? Yeah. I've only got two lines on that, but I'm on Adam 12. Now, do you feel like that's innate or do you feel like you've worked to cultivate that kind of outlook? My dad was a very grateful guy. He had he was born the son of Irish immigrants. He had lived through the Great Depression. So he was a very grateful guy because he was basically a factory worker that made it in his 40s. He wanted to be an actor his whole life. He won a Charlie Chaplin contest at like age 12 or something and was in circuses and carnivals and worked as a short order cook and worked at a factory and started at WTIC, this station in Hartford, Connecticut, and was in the Navy and did all kinds of things. But he wanted to be an actor. He didn't start to make it till his 40s. He became a working actor really in his 40s. So he was always very grateful. So I think I got that from him. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And and so I just the last thing I'll ask is when you you know, because what you described is in on the earlier end of your career feeling sort of entitled, like you were like, Dad, before you went into acting class, like, why can't you just get me a job? And I just wonder, what was that transition for you? Um, And 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 do you ever still struggle with that at all? or, Or have you completely shaken yourself of that sense of entitlement? Like, how did you go from like, I just need a job, get me a job to a sense of deep gratitude for even six lines. Life experience does that to you. There's things that you think are going to be there forever and they're gradually taken away. You know, my dad passing was a big loss and Mm. you start to lose things. You start to lose your hearing, whatever. You go, wow, you know, I'm going to be grateful for what I have today because things don't stay with you forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I had a series that ran six years on St. Elsewhere when it was over. I was very sad that it was over, but part of me was going, wow, now I'm free to be a star in movies right. and star in another TV show and not just be character number six on the call sheet or whatever my character was. You know, I kind of like, wow, this is, I, I loved it. I didn't want it to end, but now that it has ended, this is going to be great. I'll get another one of those series like that. You know, wow, those are easy to get those TV series that last six years. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I haven't had a, a series that lasted over 13 episodes since. Not wow. one time. Not since 1988 when the show went off. I've had like six here and then 13 there. However many, how many did we do? I 10? think we did 10, yeah. We yeah. did 10. I've had like 10 here or there, 13 twice since then. Since 1988, since wow. the 80s. Wow. It's hard to get a show on for six years. I thought I didn't have, did not have that sense of gratitude fully even in the 80s on St. Elsewhere. I was grateful. I'm not saying I wasn't, but I wasn't fully grateful. I thought these are easy to come by. Let me, I'll get another one of these. Right, right. And so, you know, now when a show that you're on gets canceled, do you, what do you feel? On to the next. On to the next. Because yep. you're, and you, you know, you're getting offers here. You know, you just, you have a basic faith that you will work again, that things are going to work out. Based on experience. Based on experience. Yeah. You say, you know what? I've been doing this now for 52 years. I, I, it's, it's highly likely that I will continue to work. And also I have something, I don't know that young people starting today, people who are starting today will have, you know, there's pension plans and things and right. wages over the years that were a certain way. Things have changed now. It's a lot of scale plus 10% work. Mm -hmm. Occasionally I do like movies. I do, it's almost always scale for 10% plus 10% for somebody mm -hmm. like me, even on a movie, that's usually the case. But um, to have your pension plan, you know, your SAG and after pension and your social security, you know, I don't know that people starting today are going to have anything like that. That also gives you a certain amount of relaxation. Even if I stop working, I'm going to be okay. Right, 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 right. Young people today don't necessarily have that. I, you know, I kind of... Uh, young actors or Young just... actors, young anybody nowadays. I think somebody starting in, you know, whatever line of work they want to do, I don't know that they have that kind of security anymore. I, I think a lot of that... Is changing as we speak. It's the gig economy. People don't want to pay people as employees and want to pay them as independent contractors. Yeah, although, yes, I think it's always changing. But I think that, you know, your dad might have sat in that chair and said the same thing about your generation. Exactly. You're right. So there's You're always, correct. you know, it sort of, it gets, some things get worse and worse and some things get better and better. And other things get worse and then they get better. And I remember even now that you mentioned that, friends of mine said, yeah, this is in the 80s, like 1980, 79 or 80. My friend said, yeah, you're giving all that money to the government for Social Security. You're never going to see a dollar of it. You're never, ever going to see a dollar of that. Going to take the money and they spent it. And believe me, they did spend a lot of that sure, money, but sure. they put enough of it in a lockbox so that I'm getting my Social Security. My friends on the other side of the aisle said I would never see. They were incorrect. I'm getting that. it right now. Yeah, there you go. So, okay, the last thing, just I know I keep saying this, this is the very last thing. Is there, do you have any recommendations for people just, and this is like for actors, but also just for everyone? I mean, are there any books that you've read that have really been seminal to your life and your career or, or classes you've taken or videos you've watched or, and this can be, you know, about politics, environmental stuff or acting or, or anything? There's so many learned works out there and good books about things. The one th I think about a lot that's not really about acting, uh, about the environment, but applies to so many things, it's Alan Watts. Mm. Alan Watts was a great mind, a great philosopher, and what have you. And he wrote a book called This Is It. Mm -hmm. And if you're in an enlightened or an open state of mind, just hearing the title, mm -hmm. you'll get it. This yeah. is it, Kat. Yeah, this it's is it. It's not happening later. It's happening right now, this second. Here it comes. Yep. This is all we get. Mm -hmm. You can live in tomorrow. You can live in the past, whatever you want. I certainly make plans. I don't just sit in the side of a hill and spin a prayer wheel and people bring me meals. I have to do some footwork to keep myself fed. 
Yeah. But basically, this is I also besides making plans as as uh, infrequently as possible. I, but I do make plans. I do live in this moment right now. Here it comes again. This one, seated here, looking at you with a beautiful light coming down on your face in hmm. your beautiful home, talking to you, lovely lady that we had a great time on a microphone. Doesn't get any better than this. Yeah. This is pretty great. This moment right now. Yes. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful place to end. Thank you so much. Thank Ed. you, Kat. That's so awesome. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at I am Kat Foster and reach out to us using the hashtag ActingRealPod. For links and recommendations from this week's episode, visit ActingRealPodcast.com. Episodes go up on Mondays. Subscribe to the show and rate and review us. It would mean so, so much to us if you did. This podcast is produced by Hanami Sutton and Chris Mako with technical assistance by David O'Hara and music by Sean Hokinson. We love you guys. We really, really do. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.